0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while bouncing running with the rest of their lives. It's been a crazy week, Uh, post-Boston, so much stuff going on at the Boston Marathon, a lot of great stuff. Some not-so-great stuff. Uh, if you heard the episode earlier this week, uh, I'll say the people who listened to that, thank you so much. Uh, jean mike Remy is a uh, fantastic guy, and I really appreciate the people who listen to that with an open mind and open heart. It really means a lot. In today's episode, I had a chance to talk to a, uh, an author, Sarah Gearhart, who has done some unbelievable work. And I'll tell you what, we are in a golden age of running books this spring. My goodness. We have Lauren Fleshman's book, Des Linden's book, Carrie Goucher's book. We have another great book, Up to Speed by Christine Yu, that's coming out next month. And we share the sun by Sarah Gearhart. This is an absolutely phenomenal book, and it details the life of Patrick Sang, who you may know as the coach of Elliot Kipchoge and so many other amazing runners. Also, Patrick Sang was one of the best runners of his generation. Uh, Specifically, in the steeplechase, uh, he medaled at the Olympics, at the World Championships, and he is someone who, you know, I think all of us kind of know him from afar as Kipchoge's coach, but my goodness, what an impressive and amazing man. And this, uh, this book really, really touched me. And I couldn't wait to talk to Sarah about it. Before we talk to Sarah right now, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Vacation Races and Lagoon Sleep. Thank you so much for supporting the show. So go support them. I really appreciate them. You'll hear ads for them later in the podcast. Also, links are in the show notes. Now, here's my conversation with Sarah. All right, Sarah, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You had a busy weekend. Holy cow. I, like, I saw big... it, like saw a lot hair Gearhart all over the place on my <laughs> Instagram.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that the book is uh, being in being put in front of so many eyes. That's the right. plan.
0: Right. So we should say I'm recording this on April 20th. So this was the Boss Marathon weekend just happened also the the release of your book just happened we share the sun which is a fantastic biography of patrick sang who is um i think people just assumed was a phenomenal person like if you're elliot kipchoge's coach it's a safe assumption that you're a great person and really good at your job but to read this is kind of like it almost does feel like to know him is to love him um and we'll talk all about that i guess before we do what was your weekend like because it seems like you were all over the place in boston
1: for sure. I mean, I'm like just now getting over my jet lag and I arrived in Boston last Wednesday via a 20 hour flight from Africa, um, which is where I was doing some research for my my current project. So I just felt kind of out of it. and <laughs> I was just really sleep deprived because I never sleep on planes. And so I show up after a 20 hour flight, you know, like trying to sound sensible. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I hope it worked out. But yeah, so I did um, an event with Heartbreak Hill Running Company, which was really lovely. That was on Friday. Um, and on Saturday, I did an author talk um, in, uh, in partnership with the Boston Public Library, which was really lovely. And uh, my friend Knox Robinson um, was on stage with me.
0: Yeah, that looked great. I mean, what, what a great spot to have it. And obviously Knox is um, someone, what, what a great co-host to have. As well yeah
1: definitely well I I had actually asked him because he has been to Kenya he's been to the camp he's interviewed Elliot as well as coach Sang. so there wasn't anyone who I knew who had been in that position and also he's you know we he and I have been connected since 2012 in the running scene in New York so it just kind of made sense to have someone on stage with me who like understood uh, where it was coming from.
0: I love this. Well, this is going to be the exact opposite of that, because I've never interviewed Elliot Kipchoge, <laughs> nor I've ever even met Patrick Sang before. However, yes. I did have the pleasure of having your book right next to me, and it is incredibly well done. So again, Patrick Sang is a legendary figure in the sport, not only as Elliot's coach, but also as an athlete himself, You know, coming from Kenya and then running at Texas and then running professionally for a number of years. So Obviously, he's an intriguing person. With that said, as an author, investing in all of the time and coverage necessary to create a book, especially about an individual, and there's a lot of people in this book. What about Patrick drew you in, not only as this is someone I want to cover maybe for like a feature story, but to elevate it to the level of biography and like th- this level of investment?
1: Well, I think he deserves it. Yeah. You know, like, to be honest, I didn't have a relationship with Coach Sang before I started this project. I had never met him and I had never interviewed him. Um, And initially I had a different idea uh, for a book. I wanted to write a series of profiles about top um, runners from Kenya. And um, in conversation with my literary agent at the time, we were thinking, like, okay, well, that idea, you know, I I had to kind of like pivot it a little bit. And so I was thinking, um, who is behind developing the talent? And, you know, I haven't really read many books about running coaches that are, you know, not like science oriented. And so I just wanted to investigate um, the human side of the athlete. And as I was researching about Coach Sang, I became increasingly curious, you know, when I was reading about his background as a student-athlete at the University of Texas in the 80s, I mean, that alone, I had so many questions about what was that experience like coming from Kenya and being in Texas, of all places. And then on top of that, the fact that he's competed in two Olympics, but also medaled, you know, in 1992 at the Barcelona Olympics. He helped Kenya sweep the podium for the first time in the steeplechase, which I thought was really interesting. So um, as I was researching, like the little information that I could find, I just became increasingly curious. And I had so many questions. I had so many questions and I knew that it was worth um, following following the story because I knew that there was something interesting there.
0: Yeah. And we're going to do a little bit like a, a deep dive here and just like the logistics of, of getting that. Getting to tell that story, right? Because I think that the other part here is like, like everything you mentioned, obviously, this is 100% true. And even a quick like Wikipedia search of Patrick saying, you'd be like, wow, I want to learn more about this guy. This, mm-hmm. this is like so much meat on this bone. I can't wait to learn more. However, like you mentioned, there's just not a lot of coaching biographies that detail the coach, especially when they're at their peak of their powers. There are plenty of coaching books about coaching. Or X's and O's, or science, like you mentioned. And this isn't just about running; this is about like basically every major sport. But not many dive into that person. Mm-hmm. And part of that, oftentimes, is a lot of coaches just don't want to go there. So, what was mm-hmm. it like talking to Patrick and really getting him invested in the idea of like, hey, we want to do a book about you? Yeah. And oh, and opening up and opening that up because I can imagine a lot of coaches are reticent to go there, especially you know making it about themselves and not their athletes.
1: True. Exactly. That's right. Uh, Well, certainly it wasn't a decision that happened overnight, (laughs) not at all. So, uh, Coach Sang and I, we actually have a mutual contact that um, I've known for a few years, and he's actually known Coach Sang for over a decade, maybe even closer to two decades, and so I had a conversation with our mutual contact, I said, I have this idea for a book, and um, we had like an hour long conversation about it. So, what do you think? And he had told me, he was like, you know, I have to preface that um Patrick is, you know, he's he's more of a private person. I can't say that he will agree to this, but I'll at least talk to him for you. So, they had a separate conversation um and Coach Sang was um open to having me present the idea, which I did in a detailed outline. So before I even approached him, I I knew the direction that I wanted to go. I had, um, ultimately, my book proposal ended up being 50 pages, which included 10 chapter summaries. So um, I came to him with a plan, and we went back and forth for a few months. And during that time, we had um, various phone conversations in which we talked a lot about life and not so much running. Running would always be at the end of the conversation. Uh, and I knew pretty quickly that he would be an amazing, interesting conversationalist because he's someone who can really navigate any topic and, um, he's, he's incredibly intelligent, which is very obvious in even just a brief conversation with him. But, um, my point is, um, it's something that he deeply considered for a long time before he ultimately committed. Um, and, it was last year um, when I was still in Kenya, and we had met up before I um, went back to the U.S. And he told me that he was actually testing me, um, and it's funny because uh, before he had committed, I was thinking like this: I feel like I feel like he's not really going to be into this, and I almost gave up on the idea. But I just knew instinctively that I had to keep, I had to keep trying. So I'm glad that I did because I like the way it turned out so
0: that makes yeah. two of us and I'm sure everyone who's listening to this um will think so as well I think it will also agree with you when they pick up this book and 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 give it a read because um he really is a captivating figure and I think you do a really good job of portraying his qualities in a way that he really does come across as this strong empathetic you know man of grace who also Reveres, you know, toughness and discipline, but does so in this really um, beautiful blend of qualities. Mm-hmm. And I was talking, it was doing an interview last night with CJ Albertson for my road of the trials podcast. And after I pressed stop record, we're just kind of just chatting. And I was like, yeah, tomorrow I'm interviewing Sarah Gearhart about her book about Patrick Sang." and he's like, I had a chance to sit next to him <coughs> before the marathon. So this is mm-hmm. CJ talking. He's like, this was my first time really interacting with him. He was like, I got to be honest with you. I was just struck by just being in his presence. Like it almost feels like there's a light around him yes. a, and like a, a physical light, but also a lightness. He goes, but not a lightness. Like, okay, like this, none of this matters kind of feel like a lightness, but also at the same time a seriousness. And mm-hmm. like a like you can you feel like you're being seen by him it was funny because he had a really hard time putting it into words and i just want to get your take on that it's like how did you go about trying to describe patrick because it seems like he is such an interesting blend of adjectives mm-hmm. that, can ima- that can imagine being a little tricky to try to represent on the page
1: yeah definitely i mean you put it so well when you say a man of grace that's very much um it's very much my thought too I think, okay, so so many people describe Elliot as sort of like Yoda. I think the term is Yoda. <laughs> He's like that, like he says a lot of wise things. And you have to understand that Elliot is the way that he is in part because of Coach Sang's influence. So just imagine Elliot times like 100. <laughs> and that's like Coach Sang in a nutshell. I mean, when Coach Sang and I first met in person, um in 2021, this is spring 2021. I remember like sitting down with him for like our first real interview, which was like four, four and a half hours. And I remember within the first five minutes, I got goosebumps on my arms because I thought, wow, like whatever he says just sounds so like thoughtful and and wise. And I just want to write everything down. And he's, he's very quotable. You know, um, over the weekend, he was signing books and a couple of people showed me um, what he wrote and they were just really lovely phrases such as, I think one was, um, let friendship grow through sport and then the other one was, enjoy that journey through humanity. And meanwhile, like I'm just signing my name <laughs> and when I read that, I was like, I got to be more considerate and more thoughtful of what I'm writing in the book. But um, it's like that. I mean, he's just a really thoughtful, caring, generous but serious person, um, a very unique blend. Yeah.
0: Right. Like he, you know, you describe him as that he is not like a metaphorical father figure to Elliot, but in many ways was a legitimate father figure yeah. to him. Um, as you know, he kind of came across Elliot uh, during his teenage years. And yeah. then obviously was, was, has been connected to him ever since. Uh, talk to me about how he's able to navigate these kind of dual responsibilities um while at times siloing them from each other in other times kind of commingling them with each other and how he's able to navigate that in terms of like again that father figure when that's appropriate for certain athletes and at certain times while also being the coach a very serious coach of some of the best runners of all time and all of the, the coaching chops that you need for that and how those two um, blend at some points and maybe other times need to be separated at others. Hey, folks, let's talk about Vacation Races. Vacation Races is a running and travel company that helps people explore and enjoy the most scenic places on Earth. It's just a remarkable company. And a big thing that they are promoting are their global adventures. So they just announced their full calendar for 2024. Currently, they offer 11 different global destinations from Alaska, Costa Rica, Croatia, Ecuador, Iceland, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand, Patagonia, Portugal, and a select and a secret destination. So I guess we'll find out about that later. These are unbelievable week-long adventures that do it's just amazing things. So in, not only are you going to be doing the running and the hiking and all that's associated with vacation races, but the meals and the hotels, they're all accounted for. for the, most most of the meals and the drinks are all accounted for. The hotels are accounted for. You get a ton of swag. You get the beach hoodie. You get the race shirt, the medal, the Global Adventures trucker hat, um, some VR luggage tags. You got a bunch of stuff as well. All you need to do is sit back, relax, and book your flight. And it's really an incredible, incredible uh, company that if you are interested in doing some adventuring, that you, you can't do better than this place. It really is a remarkable thing. If you're interested in doing one of their global adventures, just go to vacationraces.com and use code RAMBLING200 to save $200 off your global adventures trip. Now, just just a heads up, this does not work for any events that are sold out. Also, it's for the global adventures, not their half marathons, ultra marathons, or trail fests. Okay, so that's RAMBLING200 for a $200 off a global adventure. However, if you do want to do the ultra or the half that aren't sold out, and you want to save some money on that, you can use code RAMBLING15. Say 15% on any half or ultra marathon that is not currently sold out. So you have two different choices. Again, the half or the ultra for RAMBLING15 or the global adventure for $200 off by using code RAMBLING200. All of this is in the show notes. Go check them out today.
1: Yeah, so I think maybe that relates to the question of um, having a holistic approach to coaching. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I find this really unique about coach Sang. um, and his mind, an athlete is not just an athlete. You know, there's a question that he wants athletes to really think about, which is who are you? Um, that's like at the root that he wants every, every person to really consider. It's if you take athletics out of a human being, what is left? That's actually a quote that I include in the book. And I think that's, it's a really nice way to think about sports. It's not just—it's not just limited to your athleticism. It's what you can give back. So you know his approach to coaching um, is described as holistic because he's really adamant about developing the whole person. You know, and he said to me, and I actually include this quote in the book as well, that an athlete's life is very short. If you become a human being in society, you can serve humanity for a long time. And so like that right there, I think is, it says so much about how he views, how he views the sport and how he views life. Like that is pretty well-rounded. And I don't know, um, I don't know many coaches who have that approach, not to say, I mean, he's, he's, he's just very dynamic in the way he goes about, um, he, in the way he goes about the sport, you know, um, he also teaches his athletes about, finances for instance um he told me that you know they normally bring in professionals and um you know in the book i mentioned that he had spent a lot of time in switzerland and so that is how he um learned about financial matters was through the the swiss system and so he told me that he, that's what he wants to expose his athletes to when they run into money at least then he will have taught them kind of like how to handle finances um, Yeah, which I think is also really interesting, and um, I didn't include this in the book, but in a previous conversation with Coach Zhang, he told me that one thing that he had wanted to do was have an investment club at the camp, which I thought was really interesting. Um, You know, his background is economics, um, but I don't know, like how many how many uh, athletes who train together, how many teams do you know of who who, like consider that so deeply? And I, I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so that's like one. Part of it,
0: one facet of it. Yeah, and it feels like he's like three coaches in one here. And I think that that can be a huge benefit, but I can also, and I have seen in other sports, I'm sure you have as well, when that can be too difficult to manage, right? If someone's trying to be the life coach and the tactician and kind of the patriarch of it, then also being empathetic to everything, that it can be a lot to handle. It's gonna be hard to know when to pull each lever. And ultimately, that is just that that's just a really tough thing. And when I was reading this, I had to keep reminding myself that like like he, you know, you do a great job presenting like the life coach holistic approach that he takes with his athletes. And it's absolutely phenomenal. And the part I had to keep reminding myself was like, and he's also the best running coach. <laughs> like independent <laughs> of this, right? He's also the best running coach, which is like something that's so easy to forget in this holistic approach because so many people who try to do all of the things it usually means that they spread themselves too thin and they ultimately aren't able to have the impact that they want to have. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, the unique part of this for me is like that he's able to pull it off when it can be so hard to do all of these things. um, Not only for, for athletes of any sort, even for a high school coach, this would be hard, but to do it not only for them, but for people who are the best in the world, maybe the best in history and who are supporting a wide community with their with their um you know with their finances. It just it just seems like so much to handle and that he says it seemingly um, with again, I'll just use the word again with so much grace. I know there really isn't a question, but it's just something that I had to keep reminding myself of like the gravity of all of this.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, he actually told me that um, when he was in high school he wanted to become a teacher. Yeah. And so it kind of makes sense. Like I joked, I said you could still do that. You know, he, you see, he you seem like a professor. He's like, I'm a professor of life, like that, which is true. Yeah. So I think maybe that's always been kind of in him to, you know, want to teach people, mold people.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And and one of the things that you make a point of bringing up, and I know that diehard running fans know this. Probably maybe some some amateur running fans might not be as aware, but the Kind of the local running scene in Kenya, whether it's like the you Kenya, know, getting ready for the Olympic, the Olympic trials and things like that. But just overall, like all the way through like grade school races and all the way up that this is unlike other places in the world in terms of the, the quality and the condensed nature of the talent base. in so many of these competitions, right? Like there could be 32 people at a 10 K and like, they're all breaking 29 and it's like at elevation. You're like, Oh my God, this is insane. So, what are the things besides obvious talent and like the minimum level of running ability? What are some of the things that he tries to invest in um, when he's trying to choose athletes uh, to work with either at his camp in Captegat or in other places and either in like his high level running team or just people he's trying to bring along maybe more of a mentorship uh, role?
1: What are the things that he's looking at, you say?
0: Yeah. Besides just like <clears throat> physical running talent
1: how um well one he told me that he wants he wants athletes who are willing to learn um and there's a quote in the book if you if you don't understand the sport then i'll teach you i'll teach you about the sport he wants athletes who are actually going to be serious um because not everyone who shows up is going to take it seriously um in fact um so so there are actually a lot of athletes in Captagat who will join training sessions. Um, they're they're not affiliated with the camp at all, but um, they all just kind of train together. And um, he is very observant, and he will watch some of those external athletes. And um, he told me that he's rewarded them with things like um, athletic apparel or shoes. Because he appreciates their discipline and their dedication. So I think really he wants to ensure that whoever uh, arrives is there because they want to make something out themselves and they're actually serious about it. Yeah.
0: And he's obviously very keen on the whole person, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned. And at the same time, he seems to go, and I think I forget the exact quote, but like his ability, his self described ability to see toughness. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, um, discipline is a word that gets used often in the book, describing mm-hmm. like in terms of what is necessary to achieve. So mm-hmm. I think everyone hears those words. And maybe they have their own take on what toughness and discipline mean. If you were to speak for Patrick Sang, what do those words mean to him?
1: What does the, the word discipline mean to him?
0: Discipline and toughness. When he says discipline and when he says toughness, what exactly does that mean to him? And maybe if you could give like an anecdote to, to describe what that means in terms of people who are like at GSC who would embody that or certain, certain certain, I guess, how you describe those traits yeah. in his mind.
1: Yeah. So let me just kind of explain. um, how the camp is set up you know he the idea was to develop something for developing athletes and the camp is quite um it's quite simple and the athletes pretty much run it you know they have they each have responsibilities there's like someone who maintains the food budget and then they have like a schedule for cleaning um they do have a cook as well so you know like you walk into the camp and you see you just see discipline in action because they're all like doing their part and you know how many high level training camps have at their own athletes cleaning the place you know what i'm saying so like that's also an example of of discipline um and i'll give you another example so there is a dirt track just outside of um the dormitories uh and the track was built during the pandemic and um I guess it was somehow mismeasured. And so, um, you know, they have certain marks that are, you know, different from like a traditional 400-meter track. But I remember watching a training session with Faith uh, kip and something happened where she didn't complete the distance fully, I think because like it was mismarked. But without Coach even saying to her, you'll do it again, she realized it and said, I'll start fresh. Um, So it's kind of like that. I mean, that's like a really small example, but it's just that mentality of knowing that you have to give it your all at all times, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And I think the embodiment of seeing the whole person, but also trying to get the best out of somebody in the delicate balance that um, can fall there is faith story, especially coming back from childbirth. Can you share that? I know it's a really quick like page and a half chapter in the middle of the mm-hmm. book. But I thought it was instructive, not only for the obvious reasons, but also in comparison to what we've seen from other coaches, especially in the U.S., um, who have really pushed female athletes after childbirth and stories who come out years later about being rushed back into competition and the deleterious effects that resulted from that.
1: Yeah. So, well, I also explained um, a situation with uh, an elite marathoner, Sally because who was more, um, I think she was like six months postpartum. Um, so maybe that's a little bit more relevant because they, they did kind of experience the same thing, but, um, you know, Sally, when she was reclaiming her form and her confidence after maternity, um, the, the attitude was that you have to be really patient. And in fact, Elliot had told her, just compare yourself when you're coming back from an injury. There is no difference. So you're healing mentally from an injury and you're healing mentally after you give birth to a child. And he told her, you know, it's it's almost the same. It's only the mind that you have to set. And when I asked about how she navigated getting her fitness back, she said that, um, it was a really slow process of just starting out walking. So it's just interesting that you can be an elite marathoner who runs over a hundred miles a week. And now you're, you're walking and she would walk 10 kilometers a day, which is, you know, roughly six miles. And she would do that for six weeks every day. And that was important because it was preparing the body for movement and, um, that also speaks to you know just how patient you have to be in the process, and you can't really rush it. So after six weeks, she started fartlek training, alternating jogging and running, and she would do that for up to twenty kilometers, which is nearly a half marathon. But she did it slowly. And so, like my point is, I tell that story. My point is um, that it is it's all about being patient and trusting the process, and that's something that I think runners can really can really learn from i think too often say like you're injured for instance you want to get back into it or maybe you you worry that you're going to lose your fitness or it's going to take a long time to come back it's really important to sort of just you know be be calm about it because it will eventually come back and you you really shouldn't uh rush the process because then you could ultimately you know troll along. Prolong getting back into shape and prolong your goal, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And I think especially with someone in her circumstance, I think that there's two other pieces to the puzzle as well of like, it's your income, right? It's Mm -hmm. not like an amateur runner who's coming back from giving childbirth, you know, from childbirth, which is hard enough. It's one thing that plus, okay, this is how I, this is how I make money. So that you have that, that add that to the fire. And then also You know, as we've talked about, you know, very briefly here, the level of competition in and around this area is so fierce that I can imagine someone in Sally's position, even if she's not being pressured by anybody to just look around and be like, I see so many fast people around me. If I don't get back soon, people are going to literally and metaphorically pass me by and Mm -hmm. managing that as an athlete and as a coach, I would imagine being, um, you know, something that would be, be, be tricky. And when you add all those factors together. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. And in terms of, you know, how deep the talent is, I mean, one thing that I was really surprised about when I got to E10 was just how fast even the local runners are. So I met a guy who, um, he runs like a two fifteen marathon and he had said to me, like, that's like nothing, like you're pretty average at 215, which is like really phenomenal when you think about it. It's kind of wild. Um, and he said that for him to get noticed, he has to run basically like 210 or sub 210, which, you know, like that's that's incredibly fast. But the talent is really, really deep. And I did have the opportunity to watch three races, one of which was a cross-country race in, in Eldoret. And it really looked like two races in one, so it was um a lot of Kenyans, but also there were some elite European runners in that particular race. And when I say elite uh, European runners, some of them included Olympic marathoners, and it kind of blew my mind to watch it because it was like, okay, the gun goes off, and it's like Kenya, and then like the elite European runners like trying to keep up and it which is kind of wild to me it was just wow like th- they are so talented and so fast and i think i don't know i mean it's a shame that so many go unnoticed and i would like to have like i would like to see some kind of like system in place to like close the gap and you know help support more opportunities for for runners um who live there and they have a lot of talent, but maybe they just, you know, won't get noticed otherwise.
0: Hey folks, Mother's Day is right around the corner and I have the perfect gift for you. So whether you have a mom, whether you have a mother-in-law, maybe you're a mom, maybe there's another mom in your life that you want to get a present for. How about the gift of sleep Rest and recovery. That is right. Lagoon Pillows is the place to be for that. Absolutely. The go to move for me when it comes to sleeping. I love their pillows so darn much. And let me tell you, the mom in your life, again, whether it's you, your mother, your mother in law, or just a good friend that you want to support is going to love a Lagoon Pillows. Now, go to LagoonSleep.com forward slash rambling to take an internet quiz. Maybe you'll see what kind of pillow is the best fit for you or someone you love, or you could just go straight to the website and buy the pillow that you think is going to work best for the person in your life who needs it the most. And maybe that person is you. And if you use code rambling, you'll save 15% on your order. This is a pillow that has a five year guarantee. It is absolutely phenomenal. I am not joking. This pillow is the real deal. And the people in your life are certainly going to agree again, that's lagoonsleepcom forward slash rambling for the online quiz to see which pillow works best for you. And you can use code rambling at checkout to save 15% today. Yeah. And I think, you know, your book and then other books as well have detailed this uh, really well, as well as some feature stories. This like this huge crop of runners and with this very distinct divide where in, in, in the U.S. you have this like this sub elite cohort. Right. The people who are like trying to qualify for the Olympic trials. Right. Say the men or women. Right. It's just like a rough approximation for these these sub elite categories. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas. Again, in Eldoret and E10, where you have these other these folks who are like you're either in the in crowd or you're in the or you're not in the in crowd. And like, and there is this distinct difference because only so many people can go abroad to race because the local races, um, wherever they, you know, the ones that they have, they don't, they're not the ones that pay. There's not the one that gives the bonuses and the prize money that are end up becoming the life changing money, which seems to be a lot of the why that is associated um, that, that that Petra saying talks about so much about the why. Again, it's more than just money, but obviously, and you detailed this in the first 25 pages of the book or so, like as the kind of the genesis of a lot of what we're seeing now from a, a, um, a complete, you know, domination um, of uh, of world distance running, mm. and it, it really is—it's it, amazing. I—I it's, it, I guess ultimately, this is not a question. It's just me rambling, and I wish I could be more eloquent. Um, I just want to go and watch this. I guess. This oh yeah. And then also just to, to 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 be able to transport it to so many, so to, to other people can see it as well, because it oh, really yeah. does seem um, like a fantastic thing to witness. While at the same time being something where you know you feel so bad for these people who are who seemingly are so close to achieving their dreams but can be like one turned ankle or one just like you know lucky connection away from from either being on the in crowd or not on the in crowd
1: yeah definitely I I don't know I mean maybe maybe in the future it's worth someone or I would love to contribute like Part of a, uh, a short documentary, just so people can see what it's really like, because it's the racing scene there is unlike anything I've ever witnessed. You know, like uh, recreational running is something that doesn't really exist. It doesn't, and I noticed that pretty quickly when I was in Eton. I was like the only um, recreational runner, and I say recreational as in like I run, I run like five days a week, five to six days a week, um, up to fifty miles. And I think that is not, that's above average, in my opinion, like for, you know, the average American, but there, that's so low key. And a lot of runners in Eaton, they train twice a day and that's normal. So like me going out and running 10 miles at a time is like, okay, that's like nothing. That's absolutely nothing compared to what they do. And, um. You know, it's just, it's really impressive and it's powerful and it's really inspiring to watch. Like, where else in the world can you go where someone runs like 50 miles a week and that's considered, you know, subpar? Nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere.
0: Right, I mean, and this is what happens. I feel like, and so, and I love Daniel Coyle put a book about like, um, about this where it's like you go to like these hot zones of talent, and he he talked about like all different kinds of talent, not just athletic talent, and they're all like this, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like these small little condensed areas where like it just flourishes, whether it's boxing or music or bat or baseball or running, and it just it really is fascinating. And this is the perfect segue. Thank you for for teeing it up, um, to talk about like what going all in means esp- yeah. and in f- for for people in e10 in eldorette in these areas because you know being say like someone like in new england right so i live in i live in uh, just outside side of Providence rhode island someone says hey i'm going all in to qualify for the boston marathon right they're probably going to be doing something similar to what you're describing about your own running running mm-hmm. roughly 50 miles a week averaging roughly 10 miles a day where i live that's considered going all in on running and can in addition <laughs> to like your family and job responsibilities right mm-hmm. talk to me about what going all in for running means in these places
1: yeah i mean somewhere like e10 for instance you you live and breathe the sport so that is waking up at five something in the morning and training your first training session of the day and you know like that could be you know running 30k on average which is like you know that's a pretty that's a pretty decent run um 18
0: miles for people who are keeping track
1: yeah 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 but that's only like one part of it so like that is your like you treat running as your job just as you would go to an office running is your job so that's what it really means to go in i mean there's nothing else like that is the that is the uh the most important thing in your life Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you have, you know, the right, the right, quote unquote, equipment to do it. So for instance, I even saw races where people were racing barefoot. I saw girls running in dresses. It's like, that's how important it is. Like you will do whatever it takes. I saw actually a lot of um, instances where uh, people ran barefoot. And, you know, that's just that was just their circumstance, but they made it work.
0: yeah, and talk to me about the um I'm trying to phrase this the right way. um I guess the the fine line that, that that people that people need to get to 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 cross over into making this a profession for themselves and the. I don't know if it's like the will or the desperation to cross that line and get there. And and just the the motivation that you see um, from these runners to get to that point where um, they can make this not only a completely all in hobby that they've dedicated their lives to, but one that is profitable, that can support themselves and their family and, and potentially their community.
1: Oh, running. I would never use the word hobby there because it's so not a hobby. You know, it's interesting when I was running one day, there was a woman who like caught up to me and she was just kind of like chit-chatting and she was saying, you know, like you in the US, you run for fun, but we don't do that here. We run to like make it a career. So like the idea of running as a hobby, that's, that's so not the case there. And it's like kind of hard to, to understand that unless you're in that environment and you just see how serious people take it. So, you know, all this. Okay. So. Uh, I was watching this documentary like a year ago. I think it was actually about Jeffrey Kemwar, And I came across this this quote that Coach Sang said in the documentary. You know, in Kenya, particularly in the Rift Valley, which is like where Eaton is, a captive cat, there are so many runners and few competitions that pay. So it pushes things to the way Darwin thought many years back, is what Sang said. It's survival of the fittest. And, you know, we had a conversation about this as well. The difference between a race in Kenya and a race in Europe or the U.S. is so striking to witness in person. In Kenya, it's not unusual for a couple hundred elites to show up, whereas elsewhere the percentage is significantly smaller. And, you know, in Kenya, people run, like I said, less for leisure and fun. They come into the sport to make a living. So one of the driving forces is to fight poverty. yeah so but I don't know what else to add to that well
0: let, let me let me ask this then, because this this is exactly where I was hoping to go is talk if you could describe, I guess like whether it's something that you witnessed or that Patrick talked to you about or in your other interviews as well, the mental and emotional capabilities needed to withstand that pressure and become, you know the fittest there right the survival of the fittest obviously this is not merely a physical sport there is a very strong mental and emotional component so what are some of the differentiating mental and emotional factors that can allow people to become the cream of that crop oh um, yeah as as talented and deep as it is
1: yeah so i actually put this in the book and i think it's important to to know and think about because i had uh a conversation with Coach Sang, but also a conversation with brother Colin O'Connell about this as well. And you know, most of Coach Sang's athletes were born in a poor environment. And Coach Sang had said to me, Where you're born, the school you attend, the environment you live in, deeply influences the way you perceive the world. Um, and he said, When you're born in a poor environment, you're likely to go to poor schools, you're likely to have limited education. And when you become an athlete, this background influences how you project yourself outside and within athletics. And that background has been a common denominator among most of Kenya's successful runners, except for maybe one or two individuals at most. This is what Brother Colum told me. All have come from a rural peasant farming background. There is no athlete that you can point out that wasn't born in a rural area, is what Brother Colum said. So that included Coach Sang as well. He slotted into what was a very fundamental aspect of his life and lifestyle, which is you know, young kids are very toughened in the soul, toughened in the character. They know what hardship is about. They know what it means to suffer. They know what it means to break the pain barrier when it comes to a race because they've been through it their whole lives. And so by that, I mean, um, you. it's 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 kind of like innate, that mental toughness you just develop from a young age and it stays with you. Um, and when we talk about, so Coach Zang even told me this, you know, he grew up in... Um, less than ideal circumstances in which, you know, mm, sometimes it was hard to afford school fees or to afford to eat. Um, yeah. So when you compare a situation, um, where it's hard to survive, you know, that does something to your mind, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. And I think even as someone gets older, I can imagine it wearing on them if they feel like they keep knocking on the door and no one's answering and they're getting so close, but they can't quite cross that barrier um, to go from, again, someone who's dedicating their lives to something but isn't quite yet seeing the payoff and yet seeing maybe some of their training partners get there and maybe even seeing professional runners from across the world come into town who they are faster than. And then seeing them leave to go live the life that they want to live.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really, I want to see in the future, like I said before, like some kind of program in place to support, to support these local runners. And I just find it interesting that a lot of, a lot of runners from say Europe, well, I can only speak to my experience. I didn't really meet any other American runners when I was there um, on three occasions. But, um, you know, you go to this area and you train with local runners, and then you then you leave and you go back to your country. And I just wonder, like, what does the local runner get out of that? Do you do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I feel like there should be like some bigger support system in place, just so that you know local runners can have you know more of an opportunity in the way that they are helping. Um, runners from other countries, you know, improve. So how can they, how can their lives be improved as well?
0: Yeah. I just think generally for the sport, it would, it's, you know, you would hope that we can see the best of the best compete,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, uh, and that we can also develop the people who are, who are on the cusp of being potentially in that rarefied air so, Sierra, we are we are bumping against our hard stop time. Thank you so much for putting out this book. Yeah. It is absolutely fantastic. I can't recommend it strongly enough. Um, how's how's the first couple of weeks going for you? Just as someone who finally has it out in the world.
1: Oh yeah, you know it's been really exciting to see it all around social media, and currently it is ranked number one on Amazon in the track and field category. And Number two bestseller under Born to Run so far, so I just hope the momentum can continue. I'm just really happy to finally have it out in the world because the project from start to finish um, has been three years. It's been three years, so it's it's nice to see it out there.
0: All right, last thing, last question. I, I wasn't planning on this one, but again, none of this is none of this is planned, but it did come out like in this big spurt of books by female authors. In the running space. I mean, you can have, right, Allison Desir, Lauren Fleshman, Des Linton, Kara Goucher, um, and then Christine Yu, whose book isn't out yet but will be out next month. In addition to your book, what's it like to have, like, your book be part of this wave of books that are now, you know, crashing upon the uh, the American running scene in this really exciting way?
1: Hey, I really support seeing more female bylines in this space. I would love to see more of that, especially minority women like myself. Um, If you don't see yourself being represented, then take the step and be the one to be an example. And I think it's really great for the sport to have more voices.
0: Sarah, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Go check out her book. Also, make sure you go check out our sponsors, Vacation Races for just some of the best destination races in the business and Lagoon Sleep. I'll tell you what, when it comes to Mother's Day, there's not many better choices than Lagoon Sleep, right? Tell the mother in your life that you respect her, you love her, and you want her to be at her best and to recover. My goodness, doesn't she do enough in her life? Help her recover right? You probably know a mom in your life, whether it's your mom, whether you're married to a mom, or whether you just know a mom in your life. Give her the the gift of sleep with the goon sleep. Thank you
1: so much for listening and happy running.